Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. MeUndies knows relationships aren't perfect. That's why they're celebrating imperfectly perfect matches with their new Valentine's Day collection. Right now, new customers get 25% off matching pairs. Match your bottom half to your better half in fun limited edition prints. Check out all of MeUndies' sustainably soft undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear, and more available in sizes extra small to 4XL. Get 25% off your first order of matching pairs, plus free shipping, at MeUndies.com slash VDay25. The following episode of Killer Jeans contains graphic and sensitive information and material. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Killer Jeans Stripped Down, where we talk about everything true crime and then some. You'll hear about the cases that are close to us and go behind the scenes of true crime reporting. We'll also talk about case updates and breaking news, as well as speak with some of our friends and colleagues in the world of true crime. Now, we're going to be sharing things we've never been able to talk about because certainly inappropriate to post online, but this is the platform that we can finally share it, what really happens when gathering true crime stories. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Killer Jeans Stripped Down. We are joined for an in-depth interview with our very good friend, Christopher Barber. He's a psychic detective, intuitive forensic artist, teacher, lecturer, a very dear friend. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, guys. So for those people that do not know, what exactly is a psychic detective? And more importantly, what you do being an intuitive forensic artist? Well, that's a long answer, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, I'm someone who came to respect my intuition very early in life because I kind of was thrown in the deep end of the pool when it comes to intuition. And I had to learn to sink or swim uh, on my own, which sometimes is the best way for any of us to learn anything. And I always wanted to be of service with my intuition going back to when I was seven and coming forward uh, 50 years later now. And um, it just developed as I, as I became more sophisticated as a person and as my uh, intuitive skills became more sophisticated over time and studied. Uh, and I was always a person who did not scare easily. That's always been the case for me. So, it just happened one day when I was, I guess, about 28, 29, something like that, living in New York City. Uh, a woman who knew of my arts arts background, come from a musical family, and she knew that I liked to paint and, and draw. And she also knew about my intuition through a, a friend. I helped a friend locate uh, their grandmother who was missing. So... Uh, this woman wondered if it would be possible for me to sketch and describe her daughter's killer. And I had never done anything like that before. And it was very difficult for me to do at that time because I didn't really know about the importance of clearing my mind and meditation and things like that back then. But uh, I uh, 
drew somebody who turned out to be a person of interest. I don't recall uh, the name of the case or anything, and I unfortunately never saved that sketch. But that started me thinking about uh, the intuitive forensic art um, with my intuition uh, as a way of working, you know, with my intuition. And uh, it's just the term psychic detective would be somebody who works with their intuition on um, missing and murder cases, works for, as I do, various forms of law enforcement, occasionally governmental as well, uh, although that only comes through a liaison, uh, and working for cold case groups and also uh, families and loved ones of murder victims. And it also involves uh, not just the sketching of suspects, but sometimes there will be locations people might uh, want me to at least give a try to find remains, or it could be, you know, drawing maps. It can be uh, many different uh, aspects of working with our intuition. And then a lot of what I do is also just one-on-one -on -one with people uh, in an attempt to illuminate things for them or uh, how to work through what they're going through if, if say, a uh, loved one has been, has been murdered. And, uh, Occasionally, you know, giving them a little intuition regarding health and, and other things that people people ask about and trying to give them hope and, and empower them because someone like a family member of a murder victim can feel so disempowered. And so I, I like to help empower people. And um, you guys know that because you've worked on cases where maybe things were bungled or it seems like somebody didn't want it solved. and and uh, people can be gaslighted and into thinking that, you know, no, no, this isn't a murder. This is natural or no, no, she killed herself or whatever. And those families, I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. So that gives you somewhat of a general idea of what what I do and what I'm about. You know, Christopher, a lot of people think, oh, psychic detective, or you're a psychic. Uh, you know, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And I want to say to the people listening right now, I've worked with Christopher on a couple of cases, a few cases, actually, actually many cases. And <laughs> everything that he has come up with, given me, I, I can't begin to tell you how spot on it is, even if it's just a little detail that he pulls out has been invaluable um, to to the case. So, Christopher, what do you say to people, um, to those that may be skeptic right now as they're listening? I think being skeptical is very healthy. I'm also very skeptical about a lot of things. And really, for me, intuition is not a big deal. Everyone, as far as I'm concerned, is wired with intuition just as you're wired with green or blue eyes or whatever, whatever your hair color is, can you sing? Can you do, are you good with numbers? Are you, you know, can you, are you athletic? This is your wiring. And you didn't have a heck of a lot to do with that. It's genetics, it's your family, and it's the mystery of creation and the mystery that is all of us. And so it's just wiring and you're wired with intuition just like animals are. And so it's a natural skill that we all have. I always get concerned when I hear some about somebody or if, if someone in my own family was this uber skeptic and they don't believe in anything, period, anything. 
what that tells me or why it would concern me is because they're making choices about their health, what they eat, what they don't eat, uh, whether they should go somewhere or not go somewhere or do something or go visit a relative or what have you. They're not making choices based on their natural intuition and instinct if, they, if they're denying it. So, you know, I, find, I would find that a, a difficult road. And because that's not the road I walk, I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing that. But if, it, if you see it just as part of our natural wiring, it's just not a big deal. It's not only for special people or blessed people. The gift of it is, is what do you do with it specifically? Are you of service with it? Is it all about just me, me, me with your intuition? And that's okay too. I benefit from my own intuition, but it's not my intention with it. So uh, it's fine with me. And I, I try not to get into the convincing game. I'd rather just show up for who and what shows up. And if I'm talking about intuition, you can make your own decisions. You know, uh, if you think I'm full of BS, cool, that's good. No, no problem. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I feel about that. What do you think of the term sixth sense and how does one even hone their intuition and are some stronger than others or is, is it just inexperience? Well, the sixth sense is, I, I, I like that uh, phrasing. Uh, I've used it often and uh, I think it's a, it's a good way to, to talk about all of this psychic uh, stuff and, and our natural intuition. Uh, because we all are familiar, of course, with our five senses, and and some people think we have eight or eleven senses or more, and we don't know how many uh, senses we really do have. But um, the the honing of intuition and uh, psychic uh, abilities, in in my experience, is done best by respecting the skill and giving it the gift of time giving it the grace of time because anything worth doing or worth having takes work. You guys know that. And anything worth honing and requires something from us. This requires something from us going to a weekend workshop and thinking, I'll be psychic on Monday. Yay. Uh, This is not the way to approach this. This is something to respect and to, pay close attention to as you're studying or as you take classes or read books or however you, you do it, or just working on it on your own and noticing things and learning things like one of the things I'm going to be talking about at an upcoming event will be helping people distinguish between imagination and intuition because they're not the same. And lots of untrained psychics who have talked to me uh, and asked for for help and input from me, they're doing that and it's creating problems for them and their clients. So, um, and it, I mean, if you want me to go into the difference between the two, I can, but that's just one, one of so many things where we begin to realize just how intuitive we actually are. And we notice the mistakes we make and we notice the patterns that show up and say, oh, okay, now I get it. But this requires time. This isn't snap my fingers. I want, I want, I want. You know, it, it requires that gift of time, giving it, giving it linear time. Well, Christopher, let's talk a little bit about your process because I am so in awe of it because I've been the 
first part of it, shall we say. Um, And I think going forward, I think everybody has to create their own process, right? But your process is, is very special. If you can share that with us. Sure, of course. One of the things um, that I learned, uh, I happen to be at a, a workshop right now being uh, given by wonderful teacher Caroline Mace. And a lot of her work now it deals in, in mystics and mysticism and, and all kinds of uh, topics. But she kind of put medical intuition on the map in terms of our contemporary culture with her books and when she first came on the scene. And one of the greatest things she ever taught me about intuition in general, and this certainly goes to what I do, and um, I talk about this often, is the importance of healthy detachment. Because as she taught me, the more the more detached we are, the less uh, likely it is that we will be fearful of what we may need to look at or what roads we might need to go down. And uh, so we will we will perceive more clearly if we are detached. And she doesn't mean that you're so detached that you just don't feel anything and you don't care. Rather, she means that you care so much about what you're working on that you're willing to set aside all your own stuff. Like if a murder victim looks like a member of your family or if something's particularly disturbing or what, what have you, that you're willing to set that aside and become that healthy detached person so that you can perceive as clearly as clearly as possible so having and learning about detachment over time is sort of rule number 1 for me when it comes to entering into working but i also realized years ago that i needed to learn how to meditate and i found a way to meditate where i go down into myself in the meditation And the intention of the meditation is to see and perceive through the eyes of my soul, not be up in my chatty, Kathy mind that we all have. And uh, our minds can really be trickster havens. And But I'm trying to clear away all of that stuff of mine that is a concern or, and I know that, hey, it'll, it'll be waiting for me later. Right now I need to work. Right now, I need to move that out of the way. So I literally move it out of the way in my meditation, and I go into an actual place in my meditation that's a metaphor for my soul. And that's the place from which I perceive and from which I work. And after a certain amount of time, it might be 10 or 15 minutes, then I I specifically task myself whatever my tasking is, like I will... I will draw her killer or killers as I'm looking at a photo of a victim when they were alive. Uh, I will draw and describe her killer or killers, and I will draw them as they looked at the time she was killed. Very specific tasking from my client. And then just let let it go and let it rip and move forward with that. And I rarely uh, stop once I start working. Now, when it comes to sketches, I seldom erase because how they come out is how they're supposed to come out. And I have to throw all art technique out the window that says, you know, you must have this amount of space in between two eyes or that no, nobody's head looks like that shape. That all goes out the window. And that's why my sketches for work look different than if I was going to do a sketch for 
you guys like as a gift or something. It kind of wouldn't look quite the same. So that's kind of how the process begins. And it also involves, before I even begin any of that, putting my feet on sacred ground. I would never step into working on a murder case, particularly if there were children involved or as a serial killer case, without putting my feet on sacred ground. We all have different ways of doing that, whatever you do or don't believe. Um, I'm not a person that participates in a particular religion, but uh, believe in a higher power. And I have no problem talking with with them. So that's that's important too, because you're you're stepping into a potential minefield. And so I don't take that lightly and I call in some some major help. And I've had major help show up for me <laughs> while I'm while I'm working. And I've also had some of what I would call my spiritual support system stop me dead in my tracks while I'm working. And and I end up finding out that there's something unethical that the client didn't tell me about. And they stopped me. You know, my support system stopped me from working on it. So that's all part of the process too. I don't, I don't talk about that a lot and I'm not a real woo woo person. <laughs> so, But do you think your but, expertise um, is best with um, murder cases or just do people ever come to you or do you ever present your platform of life itself? beyond true crime and solving cases? I think uh, my my best work is done in the true crime field, but uh, there are people who would argue with me about that because of other things I have done or done for them. Uh, it, it's kind of all part of the same thing. Uh, it happened earlier today. It had nothing to do with true crime, but there was someone who was having trouble with their uh, intuition, and he... He, there were just certain things that he couldn't quite make the connections and didn't realize what was empathing and what wasn't and what's imagination or what's intuition. And, um, and also he had some health issues. He, he wasn't getting any doctors who could diagnose him and stuff like that. So that, that comes up for me also all the time. It's just that my main focus and most of the work that I do is in the true crime area and probably will continue to be that way. But I always make time to talk with my clients. I can't tell you the number of times I've been on a phone with a detective or someone or a sheriff's deputy or something. And we're about to hang up and the work's just about all done. And, and they'll say, you know, now, why, why you're on the phone? You know, my wife and I were kind of considering a move. <laughs> so, And then they'll, we'll, get, we'll get into a whole tangent of personal issues and questions, too. So it just it comes along with the territory. You must get well, I, hit up every second of every day from everyone that you've ever encountered in life for like those type of, you know, insights and favors, I guess. Is it exhausting? <laughs> well, I've another another important thing about intuition is is being able to diagnose yourself is am I feeling normal tired or am I drained? Because those are two very different things. We know what it feels like. Hey, I'm like, so, wow, I'm tired. I worked a lot today. Wow. I got to go sit down. That was quite a day and that's normal and healthy. But if I feel drained, then I can look back on my day and what, what did I forget to do? What did I not say? What did, how did, how did my, my cool down or as it's sometimes called or my meditation go, or did I, you know, what, what caused, what, 
what might I be able to uh, figure out caused me to feel drained. But I am also a person, and this has to do with my intuition, I don't have trouble drawing lines in the sand with people. So if someone is draining me or, you know, I request quiet or something and they won't leave me alone or something, you know, I, I don't have a problem drawing lines in the sand. I try to do it diplomatically, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we can't, we can't do that all the time. Christopher, but, I want to uh, ask you I'm about, seldom drained. I, yeah. I, I want to ask you about, you said the difference between imagination and intuition, because so many yeah. times when it comes to true crime and reading cases and hearing about these horrific stories and these poor families and these poor victims, but sometimes a lot because law enforcement doesn't release a lot of information, it leads us to creating our own imagination of what possibly happened, mm. right? right? So right. can you explain the difference between that and learning to draw that line in the sand between imagination and intuition when it comes to yeah. these criminal cases? Well, absolutely. And what you described is, of course, everything we would want to do if we're an investigator or we're investigate investigative journalists or or, you know, detectives of some kind, that's normal and the way it goes to do as much research as you can. And then you are going to come up with links in your own mind to fill in the blanks. This is why um, another important aspect of of this work, at least for me, is working as least front-loaded as possible, meaning often I won't know the name of the person I'm working on I I like to know their first name so that I don't have to keep referring to them as the victim or your victim or your homicide victim. But if you tell me where it happened, when it happened, we suspect the boyfriend and also another person. And we do this, this person was cleared and yeah, blah, 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 blah. All of that is going to create exactly what you just said, a story in my head oh boy, isn't it always the boyfriend or the husband or it's always the wife or it's always this. And it's like, this is not what someone like me wants in their head. I want to be clear and as least uh, loaded ahead of time or front loaded as possible. So I'm often not knowing so much information. And this is why when I did uh, the crime con with you in 2019, uh, there were people that I, I showed some of my sketches and some of the victims photos were in the, in the picture. And at least one of those uh, victims was identified when the, when the session was written about in the uh, synopsis of the, of the event. And I, and they named a person and I'm like, I have no idea who that person is. I think I know which case it was that I showed, but I, I don't know who Taylor so-and-so is. So, I, I, and I, it's important that someone like me doesn't, even when I finish working on something, I don't know if I'm going to work on it more or they're going to ask me more questions or maybe there's another victim. I don't want to get on Google and find out all this information and see all these faces and everything because that makes it harder to do my job. So I'm often like, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Magoo, like, doesn't realize he's hitting people in his car and dropping things all over the place because I don't know who who anybody is. As the case goes on, and I submit some work, and then my client might come back with questions, then I might ask a few questions, but I'm still trying to find out as little as possible because I don't want to 
to, you know, screw it up. In terms of the difference between intuition and imagination, it's easy for us to tell because imagination comes with a long story. Like when we're daydreaming and you're thinking about going on a vacation, let's say, and you, you see the place and then you see maybe your friend or partner that is with you and then you see yourselves walking on the beach and then you go to the hotel and then you, it's, it's like a linear story, A, B, C, D, E, and it goes on and on and on. That's your imagination. Intuition, 99.999% of the time does not work that way. It's a quick flash where for me, I will usually see in my mind's eye, what I see might not be particularly clear, but what it is that I, I'm seeing it is very clear to me what, I, what I'm seeing. So it'll be, it'll come in and it leaves, comes in at the speed of light and then it leaves and it might come in again and leave. If I ignore it, it might bug me a bit, subtle bugging, but it's quick. I'll hear something, period. Like I told you um, in the interview I did with, uh, with you on CrimeCon's site, the conversations that you guys do, um, I had been working on a case of a young man who went missing. And uh, they weren't sure where he was. And I got the sense, although I wasn't 100% sure, that he may have had some emotional and substance issues. And when I was working on his location, uh, I saw him in water. Then I saw him out of water. And I wasn't sure what, well, what that, what's that about. And then when I was working on the location, I asked my own subconscious and I asked my intuitive system a question that is, is not really a leading question. It was, uh, show me an image or, or tell me something that would help me to identify where his physical remains or his physical body are. Where is his physical body? That's a, a question I ask of myself, of my subconscious and my intuitive system. And I heard Liberty. But here's what we don't want to do as an intuitive. We don't want to identify what that means. We want to give that to our client and let them, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Or because uh, I didn't know, is it is it a sign? Is it a on the name of a town? Is it a, you know, a, a place, you know, a lake? What I mean, I don't know what it means. It meant nothing to me. But that word was so clear and I heard it so well within myself that I wrote it down and I gave that to the client. And she eventually got back to me later to say that uh, his car was found abandoned at a Liberty station. And I don't think we have them where I live. So I didn't know it's kind of like a 7-Eleven or Circle K gas station convenience store type thing that you have on the East Coast, I think. So his car was found abandoned there and there were things in the car that were troubling. And his body was found not too far away from the that Liberty Station. So um, for me to add imagination to hearing that, and the worst thing I could have done for my client was, was say, oh, it must be a town. Do you have a town named Liberty near you? And she gets on her map and says, yes, it's only about 40 miles away. And then she's off driving to Liberty looking for, for this young man. That would be okay, you had some intuition there, but things things went off the rails because you tried to identify it and tell them what it is. 
instead of giving what you get and don't embellish, which is what uh, Beverly Jagers, who was a well-known psychic detective, one of the early books that I got on the subject, that's fantastic. It's hard to get her book. I think it's called The Psychic Paradigm. But uh, so you understand that that intuition doesn't mean explaining what something is or, you know, letting my imagination tell you if I see a red structure, I'm going to tell you a red structure. And if you say to me, is it a barn? Then, of course, for me, well, it is now because I can't now I can't stop seeing a barn. And that got a friend of mine in trouble because she when she was asked, it was it a barn? She said, yes, it must be a barn. It ended up not being a barn and it wasn't a farm uh, and it wasn't more rural. It was a house that was painted red where the where the missing girl had been for some time. So that hopefully gives you some ideas about imagination and difference. Intuition doesn't really come with a story most of the time. It's quick. It's gone. You hear it. You feel it. You sense it. You see it. Or you get some combination of seeing, feeling, sensing, knowing, or smelling even all of your senses and all of what I call your inner archive of information and images that we all have within us. That also comes into play with our intuition because nobody knows what you know. No one has seen what you've seen. No one's been where you've been exactly. No one has the images you have in your own mind and in your own life. Uh, that have to do with films you'll never forget and places you've been and vistas you've seen. All of that can come into play with you describing things when you're working with your intuition to someone. You know, um, you could say, do you know, did you ever see that movie with Robert De Niro? So-and-so, blah, blah, blah. It looked just like that scene where he was standing, you know, on a balcony. Remember that scene? It looks just like that and kind of a little bit like New York City, you know, your own inner archive comes into play when you're describing uh, things to your client. So hopefully some of that made sense. I know. I love how you navigate those conversations with the families. It's, it's touchy. It has to be hard. And I think you've, you know, if you've got the, the communication and the way you present it down to where you're never misleading. You're never, like you said, filling in the blanks, but they take the information, the bits and pieces. But I want to talk about mental state. We all have, you know, those racing thoughts. It's just relentless and some more than others. How does one capture the flash and how does one get to the stage where you're at in life, where, you know, it's reliable and the flashes um, pan out for resolve and answers and help people like how, how, how much time does that take? And how do you, is it quieting the mind? Definitely quieting the mind prior to working. You know, if I did what, what you guys do, that's how I would, that's how I would roll. I would, I would quiet my mind, set aside some of my own issues and thoughts and things I'm concerned about. And, you know, I, I might ask, you know, my higher power, listen, can you just take this, for now, because I, I can't deal with that. I, this is important I, that I do this work. So, um, <clears throat> and it takes longer. It takes a different time for different different amounts of time for different people. But the more you do it, and the more you get to recognize when something, oh, that was intuition. And when you sometimes recognize the subtlety, because intuition can sometimes be quite subtle, but at the same time, it's it's so clear as to 
what it was trying to tell you. But it tends to be that that little little something that like comes in and waves and then walks away. It comes in and taps you on the shoulder and then sort of sneaks away. And it might come back and bug you a few times, that subtle bugging. And that's that's uh, also indicative of something that's intuition. But I think that the more you do it and the more you can clear your mind to perceive more clearly and get out of your own way and don't allow all the mind chatter to sabotage you. It's one of the biggest saboteurs of intuition and remote viewers know this remote viewing is a type of, it's an intuitive protocol that was started in our military and that the people still do today. And I have had some training in remote viewing. I don't call myself a remote viewer, but the tools I learned there have been only helpful when it comes to the work that, that I do. They're all about getting all that stuff out of the way and, you know, being 100%, uh, lined and not front loaded and they they work with coordinate numbers instead of something like a photo because a photo in its in and of itself is somewhat front loading but you just have to train yourself not to whatever you notice about the photo write it down and then draw a little um square around it or a wall around it or something so that you acknowledged it okay yes yeah, she looks like someone i know oh she looks so young one of her eyes looks kind of more clothes than the other, anything you notice about a photo that you're working on, for instance, to get all that front loading out of the way. And once you write it down and you enclose it on your piece of paper, just using a pencil or a pen, it's like, okay, my subconscious knows that I got that out of the way. I acknowledged it. Now I can, I can move on away from all that, all that stuff and all that chatter, but it just comes over time. And, and with that, you know, respecting the skills and uh, noticing patterns, noticing when you think back and say, well, now that was intuition that I saw or I felt or I heard. So let me go back and think about that moment when that happened. How did that feel? What did it feel like? What did it sound like? And, you know, you, you start to really figure it out over time. Christopher, you've worked with families of missing persons and cold cases. You've worked with law enforcement. Uh, you've worked with private investigators. You've worked with government national agencies with three letters, <laughs> which we won't talk about. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is there a case or two that are special to you for some reason? Whether yeah. that be, you know, something that you constantly see, you constantly feel, something you haven't been able to let go. Is that something that you can share with us? Sure, sure. A lot of the, the work I've done, I forget. And that's, that's I think, a, a good thing. I seldom dream about cases. I don't dream about killers. Occasionally, I will have a dream here and there, but uh, I also have a sort of something that's not negotiable, meaning that um, I'm working on murder victims. And I, for all I know, sometimes they know I'm working on their case because to me, they're still alive and uh, free. But uh, what I don't want is paranormal chaos in my home. So for me, you can't, you can visit me briefly or come to me in a dream, but under no circumstances can you live with me. And that's not negotiable. So it's important to me to set that 
out there and and I and I language it out loud because occasionally I will have someone you know come to me in a dream and it's since dreams are symbolic language usually mostly uh, I have to take whatever happens in that dream with a grain of salt and I might just say to my client by the way for what it's worth I had this dream about her last night and this is what she showed me and this is what she seemed to be saying so you just take that for whatever you know, however you want to, but, um, uh, a case that everyone's heard of and was just, was just in the news again, because I think it was the 80th anniversary or something will always be the murder of Elizabeth short because she was kind of my first case when I was about 15 years old. There was a TV movie that was on, uh, Started Ephraim Zimbliss Jr. as a detective, and a very young Lucy Arnaz played Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. By the way, Lucy Wall is my favorite, just so everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think, if what I heard is true, that Lucy Wall was too happy that her daughter played the part because she was scared by the by what happened to Elizabeth Short and didn't didn't necessarily want to think of her daughter playing the part. But I think that Lucy Arnaz was the best Elizabeth Short I've seen in a, in any you know docudrama or film. Uh, most of the films I haven't liked, but um, the case will always be special to me because I was so taken. Even though in 1975 they didn't show a lot on TV, and there were parts of the story that were missing, and they they took liberties on the actual story, but I was quite haunted by by the movie. And by the case, I had never seen back in 1975, there were no available, there was no Google, like you can see photos of the crime scene now. And uh, I didn't see any photos from the crime scene until 1985. But I, I had dreams about the case where I was with a group of mostly men sitting around a table. Some of them were doctors and some of them were people in law enforcement. And I was sitting at a table with them and they were talking to me, just the people like right on my right and right on my left, were just talking matter-of-factly about the case and about the crime scene and what happened to her and everything. And what I was told in those dreams, I would find out in 1985 when I finally got to see photos and do, <clears throat> excuse me, some research. And what I was told was accurate about her. And so I have a long history and there were lots of kind of freaky coincidences that happened over the years regarding that case. So, and she's special to me because she's one of those cases that for me is, is symbolic and I'm going to try not to cry on your show, but she's symbolic of all of the young women. <sighs> Sorry, I'm crying. Most of the cases that I work on, you know, are, are young women. So it's like when I look at her, I see all their faces like slip by. They're coming by me, flashing by when I look at her face. So that's one of those cases that I probably will just like never get over and always think about. And she has become, you know, even for in our in our public uh, arena, a symbol of, you know, young, young people, young women, especially who who dream of better things and who uh, are trying to make something out of their life and who can't escape their own uh, health problems and their own 
own patterns that they have and and it doesn't go well for them but she's symbolic of all the young women that all the young aspiring actresses or prostitutes or housewives or runaways or whatever the case may be she seems to for me like be a symbol of of all of them because sadly most of the cases i've worked on have been that were murder cases are are young women younger women or just women and the other one is uh which i'll only <laughs> touch lightly on is uh jacob wetterling the young boy who was who was kidnapped in front of his friends on their bikes and gone in they were also shocked that he was gone you know within two minutes and and uh later the killer confessed and uh they did end up finding his remains that that's a case that will always stick with me because i was i was that boy i was the boy on my bike in this late 1960s and 1970s who was sometimes on my own and sometimes with kids in the neighborhood and friends and anything could have happened at any time and been gone you know in 30 seconds and um, just something about him and his his face and and uh, what happened to him it it bothers me it bothers me you know but uh, I mean all all um, murder victims even if they're in their 40s 50s 60s and older they were children too once so but uh, you know children children and young women just it's hard it's a little bit hard but it it doesn't stop me from moving forward and going forward with them. But that would be two. Um, and then there's some like really freaky serial killers that I. <laughs> what you just described emotionally really resonates with me because as a, you know, 20 year crime reporter, I've seen unfortunately yeah. hundreds of dead bodies and thousands of grieving families. And you said you see faces in one and that happens to me where, um, I'll be okay during one interview, but another one, I just can't get through it without breaking down because I think right. it's the accumulation that is happening in that moment. Like their grief is so yeah. much that um, it's right. reminding me of past griefs and past similar cases, especially when it involves, you know, younger people. So I thought that was Absolutely. really well explained. And I, I felt that, and I understand that's hard to unpack each night even though you have your routine, it's, it's hard. And you dig even deeper because you try to solve and give these families relief. So I'm, it must be really difficult. And I'm glad that you have a system in place for your soul, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I, I think it's healthy to let, let the emotion come. Um, I do all the time. And uh, some of the Native American folks I've known over the years, you know, talk about how they'll go to places that were important to their ancestors and they'll just cry. And uh, that being a, um, a medium, if you will, for that grief or uh, and it's it's healthy for me. I would be concerned if I held on to it. And and a lot of men do that. And I, you know, I, I don't do that. I'm very, very masculine and <laughs> have a beard and, you know, um, look like I could kick your butt, but I really probably couldn't. But, um, you know, uh, I just let it go. I let it come because oftentimes too, I feel like I'm sometimes called upon it to, to I'm called upon to, to do that because of what isn't being said or done or how people in a family, for instance, 
it's an unspoken rule that we don't talk about that anymore. But when that's your rule, you're actually talking about it. <laughs> the We're not talking about that topic. It's in the air. You can just like feel it in the air. And it's like, you really are talking about it. And I personally don't believe in, in that. I, I believe in talking, get it out, get the emotion out, get the crying out. You know, um, it's just, it's just much healthier. And as a result, I am very knock on wood, seldom sick. So, uh, I think it's, it's healthy and it, and it certainly would be what I would do, uh, if I was doing work like you both are doing, you know, cause things are going to get to you and things are just so sad and you find out how, how people drop the ball, uh, in certain cases or how family members drop the ball and it, it you're human, you know, and, and you have emotions. The, the, the trick though is let it, let it work through you, let it come through you, but don't let it take you down and don't let it drain you. Don't let it take your cell tissue. You know, if you're, if you're drained, then you're going to have to pull from cell tissue from another place in your body in order to run things and run your life. And that might not be a particularly healthy part of your body. And then you you could get sick or, you know, worse. So I'm all about communicating and let it, let the emotion flow through you. I probably cried five times just in the last two days at this conference that I'm at because I'm with dear friends and we're talking about the last two years and we're talking about pretty deep subjects and, you know, we're all crying, you know, so how it's healthy. Christopher, is there a case that has stumped you that you just couldn't quite figure out? Oh, there have been been many. Um, It's important for me to say, you know, I'm happy to tell you I'm not all psychic all the time about everything and everybody and certainly not myself. And anyone that presents themselves as that, uh, is this a PG-13 show? (laughs) No, you can cuss R-rated. Okay. Uh, They're just bullshitting you. You know, um, uh, there are times where I don't get much information. There are times where I feel like I'm being blocked. There are times when I feel like if something doesn't, isn't meant to be solved for reasons, I don't understand the mystical laws, but uh, they seem to be in place. And I don't know why some things don't get solved, but maybe that's between the victim and the killer. I don't know what's going on there between them or their soul contract, sacred contract they might have. Uh, Lots of things stump me. uh, And my job, though, uh, this is an important thing that for me to say anytime I speak publicly is that uh, it's not for me to identify everything, get everything right, answer every question, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I have to give you like I like to say, juicy, ripe lemons, but you have to go make the lemonade out of it so that um, my job is to help send you in the right direction, hopefully, and give you some accurate data to follow up on or a map where you could actually might be able to find some of these spots or, you know, gee, we didn't think she was in in a desert-like place. This is interesting. And then, you know, take that where it can lead you as an investigator. So um, this is how I can help something be solved. But most crimes are solved by great detective work and great investigators and forensic people who know their stuff. And, you know, 
often don't need somebody like me. My job is to try to give you the best that I can and the most accurate data and information and send you in the right direction. Maybe I will actually draw your number one suspect. And this happened recently. He happens to be deceased in a case. And uh, so I don't, I don't even know if there are any photos of him available that I'll ever get to see like a feedback photo of him. But sometimes I'll just like, you know, draw and, and that might help confirm for an investigator. Wow. In a world of 7 billion people, you could have drawn anyone, even a woman and you drew, you drew our guy. So that, that, does that mean I solved the case? No, this, it gets solved by that great hard law enforcement work that, that they're doing. Um, but things, cases that stump me, that's, I'm stumped by, by questions about being stumped. Um, uh, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but maybe it is the yeah, Black Dahlia, I, right? Is it Elizabeth Short? Well, it, it, it certainly seems amazing that while some people feel that it was Dr. Hodel, and maybe it was, I'm not so sure. And I, it's been so long, I've never, I haven't worked on it in a really long time, but it would be interesting for me sometime to take her photo, clear, clear my mind as much as I can, because most of the movies are crappy anyway that remain about the case and not true, and she was not a prostitute and all kinds of stuff. Um, but uh, it would be interesting to see, w- w- would I be able at all to sketch? Would, would, I, would it end up looking like Dr. Hodel? Would it look like um, one of the other suspects? I always felt that there was an accomplice in that case that I did feel. And when I went to the crime scene, this is one of the freaky things that happened with the black Dahlia where I, where I, uh, it wasn't the crime scene, but it was where her body was left 39th and Norton in the South of Hollywood. Um, and of course, you know, there's a beautifully manicured lawn there now, but <clears throat> where the fire hydrant used to be is, is where the fire hydrant is now. And her body was, <clears throat> excuse me, 50 feet. Um, north of the of the uh, fire hydrant, um, but it inspired a few visionary experiences later in that day. When after I went to where her body was left, where I I did something that I usually try not to do. It's a bit of a no no for for some of us. What we we attempt not to do is see through the eyes of the victim or see through the eyes of the killer. But sometimes we do end up lapsing into that as part of our session. But um, so I, I actually saw the moment she knew she was in trouble through her own eyes, which kind of was freaky. And, um, and she, w- she was in a room that almost looked like it could have been a theater. And there was like a, a dark red, reddish um, curtain. And then I came out of it. But it was so vivid. Is that accurate? I don't know. But I mean, um, it's just one of those things. You know, freaky things do happen uh, on occasion. Working on the Golden State Killer. That's one, if you want to know what stump, case that stumped me. That was a stumper. I mean, I, I think I did three separate sessions for three different people. Of him as a boy, because of a client who uh, thought a boy he knew in school might have been the Golden State Killer, but I 
who I drew did not look like that boy, but I drew someone that did resemble the actual Golden State Killer as a boy. That was the only sketch I did of him that I felt was fairly accurate. The others were too thin. I let that front loading that I had heard from so many people. He's so athletic. He's running over roofs and he must be, you know, and they thought he was so young and all that, that, that corrupted my sessions because I couldn't get, get that out of my head. But um, when I was sketching him as an adult, um, and I was putting him at approximately age 65, what he would look like if he was, if he was alive then. And that this would have been 2014, which I guess is four or five years before he was caught. Um, when I finished sketch, not only did I weep, which I don't usually do, it was kind of that, wow, and just starting to, to weep over the whole thing. But I heard his voice very distinctly as though he was in the room. And it was him saying in a deeper uh, voice than is on that tape recording of him saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you over and over again that he left on someone's answering machine. But he just said it once, you know, in almost like a whisper, I'm going to kill you like that. And that was freaky because I wasn't sure it was so clear, but I wasn't sure. Well, gee, should I assume that means he's deceased? And this is his, you know, his spirit kind of trying to have a, you know, a laugh with me. I wasn't sure that was obviously not the case, but what was it about him? And he, he's alive that would cause that to happen for me to actually hear his voice like that. Uh, That's a mystery to me. I don't, I don't know. That hasn't happened since, but some freaky things like that do happen. You know, I've always been a big fan of CBD, but sometimes it's just not enough and you don't exactly feel it. So CBDX.com went all in on the CBD game by adding Delta 8 THC and prepare to have your minds blown. It's a federally legal form of THC that you will definitely feel and it comes in all different forms, tasty flowers, vape cartridges, concentrates, and my favorite, the gummies. Now, I love that the CBDX products are shipped directly to my home, but be aware that the products will show up as THC on a drug test. And of course, never drive or operate heavy machinery while on CBDX. If you're ready to give it a try, go to CBDX.com. That is four letters, CBDX, and use the code KILLER for 20% off and a free gift. On the level of freaky, let's lighten the mood a little bit since we have your expertise and you're a fascinating person. Um, Give us some fun stuff that you've done with these abilities. I mean, or a moment with a girlfriend or a wife or I don't know your personal situation or friends or family, like give us some funds that you've had with it. Well, there, there's a lot of that. Um, I, I once dated someone who, who was a bit uncomfortable with my intuition. Uh, and so I mean, I didn't go overboard talking about it or anything, but naturally, you know, if you're dating somebody, you want to 
share what you do and share. And, and I'm, I'm okay. If, it, if, if you're too uncomfortable with it, then, you know, we, maybe we're not, we're not right for each other. But what I started to notice is anytime we went out somewhere or a restaurant, uh, they kept filling like my wine glass and they kept, you know, ordering drinks and et cetera. And thinking mistakenly thinking that if I got tipsy and maybe a little drunk, that I would be less intuitive or somehow, you know, I wouldn't say something kind of freaky or something like that, that would make them uncomfortable. So they were trying to sabotage my intuition. But what they didn't know is that giving me a, you know, a third, fourth or more glass of wine or something that just lets my guard down and, and relaxes me. And, and so I'm more inclined to say something intuitive. So it backfired on them, you know, and that that kind of funny, stupid, you know, stuff happens. Oh, and, wait, um, when you're just you're socially hanging out and you just really read yeah. someone too much and they're like, oh, how do you know that yeah. like that? <laughs> <laughs> there have been a lot of funny things with me in restaurants. My best friend has been has seen some of, of this happen, but and he always loves it when I when I you know tell him about something that happens in a restaurant because I I have wonderful friends and a really good support system. And uh, so we like to go deep. We like to talk about stuff and they want, you know, they'll ask me about my work and I try to keep my voice down in public. And there's certain things I would never discuss publicly or, but there have been times where I might've forgotten something and there'll be a people on in a table to the left and to the right. And I'll be talking about something or I'll say something like, well, unfortunately they never found his head or I'll say just something that I don't mean it to be funny at all. Or I'll say, well, apparently there was so much blood that I think it took them, you know, three days to really, you know, c- clean things up or something like that. And then in my peripheral vision, I'll be able to see the people and I'll go, Oh no, shit. I'll see the people on either side of the table all of a sudden freeze or something, and then then every they get really quiet because they want to then listen to our discussion. So so we we end up being the entertainment, but then then I I will want to squash it, and I'm not making this for sensation junkies. And I so but I and I also once said something in a restaurant, and the woman next to me was listening at the next table. And when I said whatever it was that I said, she spit her wine out into her glass. You know, like she couldn't she she like hears something and. Pfft, she couldn't help it. She, I said something that had to do with my work that must have sounded really freaky. And so she spit her wine out in her glass. Have you ever had information or an intuition or um, a snippet of a friend and held back and felt it was best they didn't know? Yes. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, there's a certain code of ethics, not being what we would call an energy voyeur. Is certainly not unsolicited. If you if you wanted my input on something, that's different. But it's very important not to scare people like about their health when they didn't ask for your opinion. And then because it's like putting a curse on them, and then they go home and they're like walking around with a thousand pounds of weight on them because they're so worried about something someone like me said. That's kind of a newbie thing. It's it's sort of like psychic kindergarten to do that and and uh, to scare people. Sometimes you can say something that upsets someone or, or about their health, but if they're genuinely asking you for some input, then I'm gonna say it in as diplomatic a way as possible 
and try to be as neutral as I can and not freak them out. Uh, and actually that happened a few years ago where I said something kind of as a joke, but cause I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to get through to my friend if I, if I went directly about this particular health topic and the joke, uh, definitely got through to them and the subject matter helped, helped them uh, with, with a health, with a health problem that they have. So it, it can happen that way, but I try to not scare people whenever possible and work within a certain code of ethics. Uh, you know, I've had many, many people, including remote viewers and other psychics and, and all kinds of clients and, and colleagues and ex colleagues and ex friends, um, you know, ask me to do things with my intuition that is unethical and, or not tell me things like the time I was stopped certain information I would have liked to have known, but I trusted you. And then I got stopped. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a code of ethics and that's why it's, that's why it's important if you're working with someone, um, you know, uh, Kelly and I are a perfect example as, you know, sometimes working together in various ways. Uh, if, if there were certain things I didn't want to work on, I would tell her, or if there was certain, something it's important that we we put that on the table about this is where i'm comfortable this is where i'm not so comfortable and i prefer not to do that or that type of work i know in kelly's case then she's going to respect that uh, request as i would for her you know it's important sometimes to do that with with whoever our client or whoever we might be working with is you know what what are your code of ethics what won't you work on do you you know, some people don't want to work on anything that has to do with children, and I can understand that. Uh, but I, I want to work on children. I want to, you know, um, it's, it's important to me to sometimes walk in the shadows. That's something that was told to me in one of my near-death experiences. I've had two, and in one of them, um, I was told that it's important that you sometimes walk in the shadows. You're the shadow walker. And that is very true about what I do. Uh, I'm walking in places where some people would fear to go. They don't, they couldn't handle it. Some psychics don't want anything to do with true crime. And I have no problem with that. I don't blame them. Uh, and they're not wired to, to be able to do that. Either their detachment or their, they have a tendency to empath to the point where it, it's harmful to them. They would be someone not to work on crime. Uh, I just don't. I'm just not wired that way. So it, it doesn't happen uh, for me. And I'm not even sure I answered your question. I think I just went off on a tangent, but there you go. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. So I, I just want to kind of go back to what you were saying before. Um, the first time you and I met in person for lunch over a few sangrias, mm -hmm. um, there was mm -hmm. definitely some people at the tables next to us listening. <laughs> And, and yeah, listening and definitely keeping their 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 ears open um, for what we were talking about. And and I think I can yeah. speak for Melissa too that. And, and even when Melissa and I are together, um, yeah. you know, oh, out imagine. having having lunch and whatever. I mean, yeah. the conversations and I get that in my everyday life too. People just don't mm -hmm. quite understand what you're talking about. But on an right. absolutely even lighter note. Um, Give us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you that has nothing to do 
with your psychic intuition and abilities? Well, um, how much time do you have? Uh, (laughs) one, One thing, one thing I would say is I am a film fanatic and I actually studied film in college and I was going to go down that road behind the scenes and in front of the camera too, but mostly writing and directing and film. And I studied with two of the greatest film professors in this country, one of whom has since passed away. His name was Guy Gallo and he taught at Columbia and I, I studied with him at the University of New Haven. But uh, I got to meet my favorite director on the planet, the great Italian uh, director, Michelangelo Antonioni, when I was about 20. And uh, he's a very famous Italian uh, director who, whose films, especially in the early 60s, revolutionized films. And so, and I have very eclectic tastes when it comes to movies, whether it's cult and horror, um, cult films, drive-in films, ex- exploitation action, as well as art films and uh, conventional you know, comedies and romances and all that. So I have a very broad film, love of film as an art. And it, one of the reasons I always loved it is because it's one of the only arts that includes all of the arts. You have the visual artists, you have the actors, you have the directors, you have music, you have sometimes dance, you have, uh, you know, film includes everything, the choreography, the the set design, you know, the all the art direction and all that. So all the arts, it's one of the reasons why I love um, films. And also, even though the question was not about intuition, even that love is about intuition because the, the majority of my uh, intuitive wiring is clairvoyance, where clear seeing and it's seeing in my mind's eye and it's often very much like clairvoyance is like seeing a brief snippet from a film and you, you know what you saw. And it was like a little tiny snippet from a movie. And I can see why I gravitated to film because that's what it's like sometimes when I see with my intuition, when I'm working on cases. So, you know, that's one thing that people wouldn't necessarily know. And also that I, come from a musical family and I have sung professionally uh, musical theater cabaret shows and musical reviews and um, stuff like that in New York back uh, in the let's see 80 early 80s through early 90s so um, so I have a whole thing with music and um, I sing every day and it's part of the balance that someone likes like me I feel it's important we have balance in our lives, do fun things. I'm a nature freak. I'm always out in nature walking when I can and walking with friends and having balance and having a good support system and friends and people we I can call and they can call me and, uh, you know, and we love each other. So uh, anyway, that's a bit. I love cabaret, love Broadway. I wish I could sing Um, one day. Oh, yeah. One day, if we ever hang out in the future, you're going to have to sing for us. You will have to sing. (laughs) Are you okay with that? If someone's like, yeah, do you sing on spot? Are you are you that good? Well, I mean, I I, I might not (laughs) sing on spot like, you know, in a restaurant or something, but 
It, it could happen. It could happen, especially after a glass of wine. So bring the bottle. All right. Great. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. You're always so oh, fun and God, insightful. And I'm, I'm learning, you know, I mean, I feel like every now and then I really truly do feel like I can foresee things that truly happen. And I get these mm-hmm. snippets, but I just, my mind is, you know, I try to quiet down racing thoughts. And so it's always a pleasure to right. talk to you and learn your, your methods. Oh, my pleasure. And the, the conversation will continue with both of you uh, in right. person, you know, wherever we might be in the future. And uh, also, because I, I can't help being who and what I am, uh, write everything down. When you have those snippets and you're not sure, is this some of my own stuff in my head or or is this related to the case or something you're working on? Or maybe it, it isn't a case and it's just like um, you want to tr- start a new writing project of some kind or do something non-crime, you know, write everything you can down, write it down and look it over and think about it. And then you have it written down to look back on later. Uh, it, it's an important thing with, with intuition, especially if you, if you are an aspiring psychic detective or new at, uh, in the field. It's really important to to write things down, get sketching, because there is a connection between our subconscious and our intuitive system and our hand. So sketching, doodling, drawing, writing, writing things down, like I said earlier about, you know, putting a fence around on something or drawing a square around it or something uh, that works with and stimulates our intuition and our subconscious and seeing clearly with our intuition. So definitely you want to keep that up. Christopher, you know that you're one of my favorite people on this planet. So thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Totally my pleasure. And um, anytime. Thanks everyone for listening. Follow killer jeans on Facebook and on Instagram. It's at killer jeans, the podcast. Also be sure to like and subscribe to killer jeans on podcast one, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Brett. And I'm Alice. And together we host a weekly true crime podcast called The Prosecutors. In every episode, we bring our unique perspective as full-time prosecutors to the most famous and debated true crime mysteries. Whether it's Maura Murray, Scott Peterson, or the Delphi murders, Brett and I dig deep to bring you details you won't hear anywhere else. Our podcast is about more than just a story. We will walk you through the legal problems lurking behind every case, breaking down the complexities of the criminal justice system with humor and a personal touch. And it's not just true crime. We bring the same training and approach we've learned as prosecutors to classic mysteries like the Dyatlov Pass incident and the ghost ship Mary Celeste. So if you're looking for a true crime podcast with a different point of view, The Prosecutors is the one for you. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. MeUndies knows relationships aren't perfect. That's why they're celebrating imperfectly perfect matches with their new Valentine's Day collection. Right now, new customers get 25% off matching pairs. Match your bottom half to your better half in fun limited edition prints. Check out all of MeUndies' sustainably soft undies, socks, bralettes, loungewear, and more available in sizes extra small to 4XL. Get 25% off your first order of matching pairs plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash VDay25.